The funny story is that I actually wanted to be like Master P. If you guys remember Master P, like make him say it. You can't just be good at your craft. You have to be good at marketing your craft. If a client sucks day one, they are not gonna get better day two. It's kind of a principle that I still have now, which is don't wait for opportunity. It's to create your own opportunities. Yeah, sure. So currently, I guess I'm the CEO and founder of Ambitious.com and Ambitious Media Group. And we are Emmy award-winning production crew for entrepreneurs. And we really help them to do two things. One is helping them to take their ideas, their thoughts, their beliefs, their values, the things that they've learned, their skills, talents, and develop online training programs for them. It's really turnkey, done for you, everything from helping them to create the content, to filming it, to editing it, building the membership sites, the marketing, really everything to help them to become an online entrepreneur. And the second side of it is we help them to really get their message out, their story out via online TV shows. And that's something that I'm a big believer in. I'm a big believer in using media to develop your brand because there's nothing better to really build that trust with the audience than them actually seeing you and getting to know you like you trust you in a consistent and constant type of medium. I think most people get out into the world and they put out one video and that's all they ever put out. And so if you have a prospect and they can only find one video, well, that's all they can know about you. But where we like to take our clients is, can you be producing weekly TV shows? It's why The Walking Dead is so good because every single week you come back. It's why Lost was so good because every single week you came back. It's why the big media personalities are the big media personalities because they're in front of you either on a daily basis or a weekly basis. So we try to recreate that. And again, nuts to bolts production here in the studios. And then we also develop distribution and marketing plans for them, but really become a production company for entrepreneurs and small business owners. What do you do to wake up with so much excitement for a Monday morning? <laughs> well, today it was waking up at about 5.15. I'm one of those people who obviously I own ambitious.com. So my actions need to match my ambitions or else I'm falsely leading the brand that I have. So I get up about 5.15 today. I go to a gym. It's called the Ninja Fit Gym. And it's a combination of CrossFit and uh, like American Ninja Warrior stuff. That's actually the thing. It's weird because I run a nice business. I have a lot of fun, but that's the thing I actually look forward to most every day because it's the biggest challenge. It is the hardest thing that I will do because I can't do any of that stuff. I'm not as young as I used to be. I don't recover like I used to. And doing like flips and crazy ninja stuff is not super simple. So I look forward to that because it brings me a challenge. I know that if I can get through that, any client emails or any crap I have to deal with the rest of the day is, is pretty insignificant compared to getting out and doing the workout. So you do that every day? Right now, it's about three days a week, usually Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays. Again, I got two little people and they like to see me in the morning. I do spend some time with them Tuesday and Thursday mornings, take them to school, try to balance it as much as I can. If, if I was a single dude in my 20s, it would be five or six days a week. But now um, mid 30s, dad of two, it's three days a week. And where are you joining us from? Right now, I'm in Winter Park, Florida, which is just outside of Orlando, Florida. Been here for about 16, 17 years. Grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and then made the, uh, the three-hour trek up north to Orlando. Came here to go to Full Sail University. University because in a previous life, I was a, a rapper. I toured the country for about 10 years as a rapper in a rock band. And I uh, wanted to go to Full Sail University to learn audio engineering and all that stuff. Long story short, didn't end up going there. <laughs> Ended up going to UCF for about two semesters. Just became very entrepreneurial. Just stayed up in Orlando. Loved it here. 
I found that I could be a big fish in a smaller pond as opposed to going to a Nashville and LA and New York City where I'm just a fish in the largest pond and everybody's a shark, everybody's a whale. And so Orlando was a really good city for me to kind of take over and be able to become a big player in a short period of time. So I've always just stayed. It's been a, been a really cool home for me. How'd you get in the rap industry? And are you white? Uh, yeah, I'm a white dude, the white rapper. And uh, the funny story is that I actually wanted to be like Master P. If you guys remember Master P, like make him say, oh, uh, no limit records, that whole thing. And what I kind of realized at that time, this is, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001, is that the hip hop moguls were like, they were the cool people, right? So they were artists themselves, plus they were also business owners. They were signing talent around them. They were having other deals. So I saw it early as like, you know, like Diddy wasn't just an artist. He was using the fact that he was an artist to now go and create clothing lines and vodka companies, talent agencies, spin off TV shows and making the band. I saw all these hip hop moguls as like the cool kids, you know, again, the masterpiece, the Diddy's, the Jay Z's and Dame Dashes from Rockefeller, the Steve Rifkins, the Dr. Dre and Jimmy Ivins, Baby and Slim from Cash Money. Like that whole landscape was so cool to me. And they really were the kind of the entrepreneurs before entrepreneurship was as cool as it is now. Now everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Back then, everybody wanted to be a rapper. And I really saw that and saw it as a way, cool, I can go in the studio, I can buy this $200 like drum machine, make some beats, record some music, put it out there. And all of a sudden I was somebody. I had this art that I could use to then open doors and do things. And so did that for a little while and then uh, kind of discovered that I was not, I wasn't really the next Eminem, right? I was good, but I wasn't super dope. So to cover that up or to open up more opportunities, let's use it that way, found a band and it was right when Jay-Z did that thing with Linkin Park, like the collision course type thing. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like if you can still do hip hop, but you could have a band behind you. Now I don't just have to get on, you know, hip hop radio or urban radio. I could get on rock radio and I could go and play in rock clubs. And it just opened up now. I could play in the hip hop venues. I could play in the rock venues. It was a huge opportunity that opened. Took that, rode that. We had a, a really good time for seven, eight years. What'd your parents think about that? <laughs> <laughs> so in high school, my senior year of high school, they let me out of school every day, like two, three hours early, right after lunch to do a senior project. I decided to start a record label again, wanting to be like Master P, seeing that Master P had a record label. Obviously, I signed myself as the first act. Uh, it was actually with good buddy, Mike Barnett. We were called the Burglars with two Zs because that's what you did. You were just super cool. You just put Zs at the end of every every name you had. And you put two Zs. Two Zs. It's two, <laughs> not, not, not just one, one Z. Not yeah. just one. It was two. I had this job at this Mexican restaurant. I started out as a busboy, ended up being a server, and I took all the money that I was making on Friday and Saturday nights, took it to the recording studio. And I didn't really tell my dad. I was living with my dad at the time. My parents had divorced. He knew that I was making good money. I was making, you know, some nights, you know, $150, $200 a night. And as a 16, 17 year old kid, like that's a lot of money, right? Especially when you have no bills. And my dad confronted me one day and he's like, dude, where is all of your money going? Like, are you doing drugs? Are you like, should I be worried about you? And it was this big conversation that we had. And I kind of broke down and told him like, no, I'm actually like starting a business and doing this and doing that. And, and he kind of just really saw it as me taking an initiative and it's kind of a principle that I still have now, which is don't wait for opportunity. It's to create your own opportunity. So many people are waiting for a producer to sign them or waiting for a record label to discover them or whatever the case is. And I was like, nah, man, I'm going to go work to make the money to go make the album. I'm going to do it my damn self. And he was really kind of thrown off because he didn't see that as a path. Like I wasn't a musician growing up. I was never in band. Like I still can't play an instrument to like save my life. I was always into music. And so it was kind of a curveball, but he really respected me for it because he saw me taking some initiative and not 
not just using the money for drugs or alcohol or whatever degenerate kids do these days. I think that's an important point you bring up, though, about creating your own path. If you're just waiting there, sitting there on the other side of the computer, who's going to come to you? Well, no one. And everyone goes through this. They think it's especially in the artist world, like I'm going to create such good art that someone's going to discover me. And you have to create good art. And whether that's as an entrepreneur, you have to create good product. You have to provide great service, whatever it is. You have to do that to get in the game. That's your ticket just to get in the game. You can't just be good at your craft. You have to be good at marketing your craft. And I believe in discovery. I believe that a record label can discover you. But guess what? You had to work your ass off to get discovered. A, you had to create that great product or that great art. B, then you had to promote that art. You got to put it on YouTube. You got to make sure that you get views. You got to make sure that the right people see it. And so that's the second half of the equation is A, you got to be good at what you do. That's the ticket to entry. But B, you have to be great at, at marketing it. Most people half-ass the art and the creation and then they wonder why no one is discovering them. And they also are in this perpetual state of waiting for something to happen in life. So if they want to lose weight, we're recording this in what, August? They're like, oh, I'll just wait till the new year because we got like Thanksgiving's in like three months. So why am I going to work out for three months just to eat Thanksgiving dinner? And like, that's the stupidest excuse of all time. But it's what we tell ourselves. We say, oh, I'm not going to start my business till I get my tax check. Why are you waiting to get your tax check to start your business? Like it's like 50 bucks on Sundays. Like go start your business. We give ourselves these excuses to push these things that we want off into the future. But the those who actually have success, those who get ahead in life are taking the initiative. So for me, it started with putting out this album, then distributing the album. Then again, no one wanted a white rapper to come and play at their venue, especially like one they'd never heard of. Like that's not what they want Friday night to draw on people so they can sell more drinks. So I had to go out and again, no one's calling me like, oh my God, Greg, come play our venue tonight. So we had to go out and create that. So first we would buy out venues. So we would just say, how much does it cost for us to play here? And they were kind of thrown aback. And I was like, no, can we pay you? Can we give you 300 bucks, 500 bucks? Can we pay you to play? And it was so backwards. I'm like, all right, we'll pay you 300 bucks. We're going to charge ticket sales and we keep the ticket sales. And now then it was my goal to sell more than $300 worth of tickets so that I didn't lose my ass, you know, playing these shows. But we went out and we took it. Then we started discovering what bars really wanted. Bars want alcohol sales. That's all they want, right? They make their money selling alcohol. So we started writing songs that would help to pick up alcohol sales. We had a, a song where everybody had to take a shot of Jaeger because we knew Jaegermeister at the time was like seven to 10 bucks a shot, depending on the club you went to. So if we made a hundred people go and buy a $7 shot, that was $700 in revenue for the bar. So while we might've only got a hundred people at the venue instead of 300 people, our bar sales would be five times that if it was a sold out show, because we knew what the bar wanted at the end of the day. But again, we went out and we took it. We made it happen later on in life. Again, started businesses, started going out and chasing clients. Just last year, I've gotten into kind of the TV world. I talked about being in the production world and I wanted to go and create my own reality show. And I know you're up in uh, Jacksonville area. I'm down here in Orlando. There are no TV producers walking around Jacksonville and Orlando being like, Hey Austin, you should be on TV. And there's no one in Orlando being like, yo, Greg, we want to give you a TV show. So I was like, dude, let's just do our own show. So we did a Kickstarter. We went out and we raised the money. We found all the people. We found the production crew. We went out and we filmed it. Just uh, recently, we just sold the show. And so again, we we didn't wait for a producer to discover us. We went out and we took it. So many people allow themselves to say, ah, well, I'll just wait until I find the right business partner. I'll just wait until this. I'll just wait until that. But reality is, if you're waiting, nothing good is going to happen. And I think that was an important point. You're talking about the price of admission. I think even with an average product, at least if you market it or whatever, you can do something. But I agree, it's price of admission, at least doing something. But then the second part seems like time again, the entrepreneurs I talk to is marketing, sales, just getting it out there. Yeah. And so I have this theory of, 
of constancy and consistency. I talked about it when I talked about what we do for some of our business owners that we do TV shows is that if you have this great thing, shouldn't you be telling people about it? And it's not just telling them about it once. It's doing it constantly and consistently. So constantly means to do it more often because we're bombarded with messages. So we're recording this early in the morning. So just in the hour that me and you are going to be hanging out today, I'll get 30 emails, 40 emails, 50, whatever the number is. And that's just in one hour. So if you just email me once ever, there's a good chance that I'm not going to read it or respond to it. So constantly, can you show up in another place? Can you show up instead of in the inbox? Can you show up with maybe a Facebook ad? Are you going to show up with direct mail? Are you going to show up with a phone call? Are you going to show up somewhere else? Can you constantly be in front of your marketplace? And then the second half of that is consistency. You know, like with, with your show, like with a podcast, I, I talk to folks all the time and they're like, well, I want to be like John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneurs on Fire. I'm going to do seven days a week. And then like on day number 10, they're like, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it's like, you know, because doing a daily show is really hard. I would rather see someone do it every single week and do it for life. There's a guy I really love. Uh, his name's uh, Dean Graziosi. He's in the real estate investing space, teaches people how to invest in real estate. And I forget the, the number that he's at, but basically he does a show. He does a, a video. It's called Motivational Monday or something of that sort. And he's at like episode 600 and he does it weekly. That means he's been doing this for like eight years, nine years, because there's 50 weeks in a year. He's, if he's at episode 500, that's 10 years of doing a weekly show every single week. Do you think he's winning? Do you think he's got everything going for him? Do you think he's got prospects coming in? Like it's the consistency. So John Lee Dumas, he's doing it seven days a week and he doesn't take a day off. That's the consistency piece. Again, TV shows, they show up every single week. If something doesn't show up for a week, you're like, what in the heck is going on? I know you're starting your podcast now, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly, whatever it is, people are going to get used to you showing up in their life and showing up constantly and showing up consistently. And so if you have something to tell the world, don't just send one email. Don't just shoot one two minute video and put it on YouTube and hope that things are going to happen. You need to create volume upon volume of content right now, kind of in the entrepreneurial world, like Gary Vaynerchuk is someone that people are looking up to. They want to emulate or they want to be like him. And so I'm Googling this as we go. So right now, as of today's day, I'm dating this. Sorry. So uh, August 14th, 2017, Gary Vaynerchuk has 1,533 videos on YouTube and you got three. Who do you think is going to win, right? Someone that volume, that means he has 1,500 chances to be discovered and that's just on YouTube. I have no idea how many videos he's got on Facebook, probably like in the thousands because he's got all those like minute clips and like if you're not producing constant and consistent stuff, putting it out into the world, helping people, educating people, adding value, you're getting passed by by the people who are. So if you have a great product, if you know you can help people, it is your responsibility to go out there and tell people about it. Tell your story, help people, educate them, help them live a better life. And in turn, they're going to say, you know what, Austin, dude, I've been listening to your show every single week. It's time for me to hire you. Greg, I've been watching your videos every week for the, I get this oh, nearly every week. So right when we hang up, I got a call with a guy who he's been on my email list for two years. And now he just popped up and booked a call with me. Two years of being consistent. And it should turn into a, a pretty lucrative agreement if everything goes through. But two years of consistently talking to him with emails, with videos, with sending direct mail, with doing all these things. And now is the payoff. It's not always immediate, which is what we want. We like instant gratification, but that's not how great businesses are, are built. And that's not how, how you win. That's not how you be successful. And how were you able to learn that? Man, through trial and error. I think part of it is paying attention to what other people are doing and modeling them. I, I learned the concept from Tony Robbins of modeling others is that everything great, obviously with technology innovation, there's things that obviously haven't been built, but with building a business, like it's all been done. If you want to lose weight, just look at someone else who's lost a lot of weight and you can reverse engineer what they did. If you want to make a certain amount of
amount of money, if you want to build a certain kind of business, you can reverse engineer it. So in the music industry, you know, again, I wanted to be like Master P. So what did he do? He created a record label, No Limit Records. He self-funded his first album. So I self-funded my first album. He went out to Swap Meets, an independent record store. So guess what? I shut up shop at Swap Meets and I went to like the basketball games and the football games in my high school and I sold my CDs there. Then he started signing other acts. So guess what? I started signing other acts and now I put myself on their record. It's just reverse engineering what other people are doing. And as I saw social kind of coming in, I had built this. So I got out of the music industry as an artist and I got into the information marketing world, selling courses and programs and things like that online. And I was teaching musicians how to grow their business. No one knew who I was. Like I didn't have a name. I didn't have a list. I didn't have anything, but I did know that there was this great site called YouTube that people were watching videos on every day. And I was like, well, cool. Well, why don't I shoot videos and put them on YouTube? And I put one video out there and guess what? It got like 20 people watched it, 30 people watched it, whatever the number was. And I was like, huh, well, maybe I should do another one. And maybe I should do another one. And maybe I should do another one. And then I started challenging myself to get better on video because those videos sucked. Like they were awful. I looked terrible. I had like a hat on and you couldn't see my eyes. There was no trust. It was in like terrible room that had like a futon with like rips in it. Like it was God awful. But I challenged myself every single week to get better. So I shot a video and put it out every single week. And guess what? Over six months, over nine months, over 12 months, I built a nice six figure business for myself where I literally shot videos once a week that helped build an email list. I emailed them near daily and I sold products on the back of it. So it was this consistent action. And then I was starting to see it. I would see people people who would send me an email and be like, Greg, I've been watching your YouTube videos for months. I've watched like 30 episodes of your show. And then they'd give me 47 bucks. That's all I was charging back in the day, 47 bucks for a course. And it was the greatest feeling in the entire world. The other piece of it is that I just felt like I had something to share. I had something to teach. I had value to give. And maybe it came from the performance aspect of being a musician, being on tour is that I always wanted to be on stage as a musician. If I wasn't on stage, be it a, a hole in the wall bar or be it Madison Square Garden or you know Knitting Factory in LA, didn't matter if I wasn't on stage, I wasn't making money. So I kind of feel it the same way as an entrepreneur is that if I'm not creating content or making an offer, I'm not making any money. If I'm not creating a content, I'm not putting my message out in the world. People can't discover it. Once they discover it, I got to make them an offer. I have to sell them something. I think a lot of people have a very expensive hobby as an entrepreneur because they don't sell anything. They don't have anything to sell. I'm like, you're a business coach. Great. How do I pay you? Oh, uh, you have to do a diagnosis call and this. And I'm like, bro, how do I give you money so you can help me grow my business for myself? Like I have services. I have packages. If someone wants video, this is how much it is. This is how it starts. And so if I'm not making offers, I'm not making any money. So I think it goes back to kind of that musician mindset, but now just kicking it over as an entrepreneur. Tell us about like why someone comes to you, how they find out about you and how you're able to grow your business today. So the way that we grow ambitious is really similar to what I'm talking about here. So we do a weekly show. It used to be bi-weekly. We've cut it down to weekly. It's called The Ambitious Life and it's a three to six minute online show. It's directed towards small business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. So your financial advisor, your real estate agent, your chiropractor, your dentist. And we film these videos and we do something really simple. We spend money to put those videos in front of people. And we do that via Facebook ads. And we've just started YouTube ads, but really it's Facebook ads. And I know that I can put my video in front of these people. They can watch it. And what we do then is we see engagement. So we, maybe we spend money to get that video seen by 10,000 financial advisors. And out of those 10,000 financial advisors, 300 of them watch the entire video, right? We know most people that watch a video, most are watching three seconds, 10 seconds, whatever it is. I only care about the people who watch the whole thing because that means they turn the volume on, they watch the whole video, 
they were engaged. They likely now are going to remember who that I am. So now I sent an ad to them and I'm like, hey, Austin, you just watched one of Greg's awesome videos. Did you know that he has a longer training video that'll teach you how to use whatever it is? So how to create an online course or how to create your own online TV show. Again, the two different paths. They click on that and then uh, I don't do webinars anymore because I found that with my market, and this is not consistent across every marketplace, but my marketplace, the busy financial advisor doesn't want to sign up for something and wait three days. The busy financial advisor who's already been watching my videos is already engaged. I just give him basically a 60 minute sales video that I make him watch right away. So they enter name and email address. I let him watch the 60 minute video right away. In that video, I pre-frame everything. I teach, I do good stuff. I show my product service. I show case studies. And then I tell him exactly how much it is. I'm like, dude, it's X dollars. I don't let them buy. I make them book a call with me. By the time they get on the phone with me, they've seen some of my episodes. They've now watched a 60 minute training video and they've voluntarily raised their hand and after knowing the price and they want to talk to me and then I get them on the phone and I close sales that way. It's using media to create trust, to create recognition, to reframe all these people. I hate getting on the phone with somebody and they're like, so who are you and what do you do again? Like it's the worst conversation ever. But by the time people get on the phone with me, they're like, man, I've seen a bunch of your videos. You've been marketing to me. You sent me this 60 minute video and then I didn't book a call right away. So you followed up with me immediately via email and these kinds of things. I direct mail people, all this stuff. So by the time they get on the phone, I just have to not screw it up. Again, every week I'm sending them new content. Every week I'm sending them a new video and then I'm monitoring that and then following up with them to watch a longer video, which again does all the pre-framing for me. It answers all the questions. It overcomes all the objections. Now, let's be real. Like there's a very small percentage that take the action to then book a call with me, but they're so qualified that it makes it worth it. So again, I might get 10,000 people to watch a video. 300 will get the ad. 30 of them will now go and watch the thing and I might get three phone calls, but then I'll close two out of three on the phone call. There's metrics to it but it is very ad direct response driven with content. And you said you went from a bi-weekly show to a weekly show. Can you tell us about that and why? Yeah, the only reason is because at this current stage in our business, we're in a growth stage, which is great, but my editor hates me at the very moment. We slowed down on my own show just because we have so many, we're so backed up with client shows that we've shot that I want to deliver better service to them. And so if we can knock off an hour of editing time from my editor to be working on client shows, that is the reason why that we backed off. Now we backed off from going two shows to one show on video, but we have also now increased and we do about, so I break my own rule with the consistency thing. We do kind of an irregular podcast. So when I'm driving to the office in the morning, I stole it from Russell Brunson's marketing in your car. I kind of just talk about what I'm going through and the day and what I had. And so we typically put out two to three episodes of those every single week. So while we've slowed down on video side, we haven't stopped on the other side in creating new content. Plus we've also got a deal now with entrepreneur.com where they're taking all of my old episodes and basically recycling them as new on entrepreneur.com. So they do that every Monday. Every Monday, they send out one of my videos through their network. Every Wednesday, we put out a new Ambitious Life. And then every Friday, I kind of do an update with the podcast. So we're still producing a ton of content, but I've taken some of the load off of my editors. And now we're repurposing content because they're getting their butt kicked, which is, I guess, a good problem to have. But uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, because I was curious. I did see that I was going to ask about the entrepreneurship thing because I just threw you up on YouTube and then it says one hour ago that you posted the real ingredient of your success and it's Monday morning. So it's like curious yep. if you shot one this morning or not. So. Oh no. So yeah. So we're, I 
ballpark like episode 77, 78 as when we're shooting this of my show. Entrepreneur, right around episode 50 or so, we inked the deal with them. So they have 50 of my old episodes that they're doing one a week. So basically they got a whole year's worth of content that they can put out. I mean, it's great for me because it's recycled content. Most people, they put the video up and then they market it for a day or two and then they just let it live there. So this is a way for us to give new life to a great asset that we've created. No, I think that's smart because it's older. I mean, it's going to get the same thing with this podcast. If I did one that was a year ago, a lot of it's still relevant information, but because it looks old, they don't necessarily want to listen to it, right? Which is crazy. I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's just how our brains are conditioned. Like, oh, this episode's three weeks old. This episode's two days old. I'm going to watch the one that's two days old when the one from three weeks ago might've been better, but it's just how the human brain works. So you got to find ways to repurpose, to repackage because it is an asset. And you're obviously, you're taking a lot of time out of your day. Like you and I were talking, like you got a couple interviews to do today. Like you don't want that to just be a one-time thing. You want it to be an asset that you're building on. So that's one of the ways that we repurpose. Other ways that we repurpose is uh, we get all the episodes transcribed. I have my team turn them into articles and then customize the articles for certain niches. I might have a video of on three ways thought leaders can shoot better videos. But what I'll have my team do is I'll have them rewrite it to three ways dentists can use and enhance their videos, three ways that real estate agents can enhance their videos, three ways that financial, and they reword some things. And then what we do is we send it to trade publications, to magazines, to just blogs, different places where we can then syndicate the content. So again, it's another outlet for that content to continue to live on. Do you ever get tired? Dude, every day. <laughs> it seems like you go hundred miles per hour, which I like, because we're getting so much information. Get some of my guests are just really slow. You're <laughs> going a million miles per hour, which is great. Like I said, you're packing in a lot of value for anyone who's listening right now. Thanks, man. Not press them fast forward, but. but dude, definitely get tired. And over the past, let's call it four or five months, I've re put a focus back on health, and that has been a game changer for me because I was getting tired. I was I was sluggish. My brain sometimes I have to go sit down and write copy or do something, and it just wasn't all there. Refocusing on yourself and taking care of yourself, and I did this forever. And then I had two kids. For anybody that has kids, you know that the first two three years they're amazing human beings, but they suck the life out of you. You know they're waking up every other hour. They got to go potty training them, and they, so they wake up in the middle of the night and they pee their bed. You get irregular sleep. You eat like crap because they don't like healthy food. Like you can't give a two-year-old like kale and carrots. They like, they look at you like you're crazy. So, you know, you start eating mac and cheese and you eat pizza and, and all of this, I was telling myself was acceptable, but really it was all just excuses. And the last few months went back to really taking care of myself first, even if it means cooking two dinners, even if it means meal planning, something that, that's a little different, even if it means waking up, I'm not a morning person. I hate waking up at 5.15 in the morning. Like it is terrible. But I know that if I do that, the rest of the day is easy. Like doing this interview, super easy because there's no question question you could throw at me then was harder than doing five rounds of 20 pull-ups, 30 push-ups, 40 sit-ups and 50 squats. It took me a freaking hour to do that. Like there's nothing you could throw at me that was harder than me like wanting to throw up at six o'clock in the morning. So taking care of myself, it seems weird. Again, people like want the strategies and the tactics and you know, how do you create content? How do you repurpose it? But dude, if you don't take care of yourself, everything else comes across. You know, I started seeing it in my videos. I started seeing the weight gain. I started seeing all of that. It doesn't help when you do a reality show with like a 24 year old kid who's like super ripped and he has nothing else to do but go to the gym four hours a day. And then you stand next to him and you're like, dude, I'm not 24 anymore. But that was good motivation. But taking care of myself from a food standpoint, going and eating a burrito, like sounds great. But then at three o'clock and you're like ready to fall asleep while you're, you're entering emails, or doing shooting videos or having to be there and produce stuff for your clients. And it was bad. Taking care of myself is the way that I overcome that. 
Now, again, it doesn't mean that I don't get tired. It doesn't mean that I don't get frustrated. It doesn't mean that there's some days where I have no motivation. There's some days where I'm just like, am I doing the right thing? Like I have all the insecurities and fears and questions that everyone else has, but uh, it's not all roses and unicorns. I wish it was. It'd be much, much cooler that way. There wasn't like one day that stood out what it sounds like maybe standing next to the 24-year-old who was ripped. Was that your turning point or was there something else? <laughs> that was part of the turning point. There was a couple turning points. I have a four-year-old, it's about to be five, and he's like a baseball like rock star. And so just the way that he was playing, I couldn't keep up. He would want to play for like three, four hours. And again, we're in Florida, so it's like 107 degrees right now. <laughs> yeah, especially where you're at. <laughs> and he can just keep going and he can keep going. And I was getting winded, you know, 30 minutes into like playing BP in the front yard. And that, that wasn't good. And then two was just seeing photos at the beach. And I was like, man, that's not the guy that I want to be. It goes against everything that I stand for, everything that I've always been. And so, you know, sometimes seeing yourself in the mirror and doing that, what's crazy is all it takes is one choice or one decision to change that. So I forget what it was, Mother's Day weekend or Easter weekend, like somewhere in there, I was scrolling through Groupon and I, I've never scrolled through Groupon. I have nothing against them. It's just not a practice that I have. Mother's Day weekend and we were looking for something to do with the kids. And I was like, well, let me look on Groupon. Maybe there's like a cool park that I don't know about that we can get some tickets to or whatever. And uh, I saw an ad for that Ninja Fit gym that I was talking about earlier. Didn't tell my wife, didn't tell anyone. I literally just bought it on the spot. And I'm like, I'm doing this. That was on a Sunday. On Monday morning, I was in the gym. Sometimes you got to go all in, but it takes you making that choice or that decision. No, I think it goes back to what you're saying in the beginning. Who's going to find you if you're just standing there? If you're not the one who's going to make the decision to go ahead and do it, no one's going to do it for you. Totally. Can you tell us about as you get a new client, you're talking about those phone calls. Can you walk us through what you do for a client when they call you and who you generally deal with? Yeah. So right now we have a heavy focus into financial advisors, financial services, kind of the insurance, life insurance, whole life industry. That's just one of those niches we kind of just fell into on accident. And so I spent a lot of my time talking to those guys. Again, the good news is I don't like selling, right? I think most people don't like selling, but here's the deal. If you don't sell, then you don't make any money, right? So you got to find ways to sell. And so for me, I joked about it earlier. I just did an ad and I let anybody call me and they jump on the phone. They're like, all right, Greg, I saw your video thing. What's this all about? I would have no money. I would be broke and I'd be working construction because it's guaranteed money, right? So what I do is I use media as a way to do the selling for me. And so again, we shoot this, it's a 60 minute video. Like most people are like, man, you could get anyone to watch more than like a, a minute, minute video, two minutes max. And well, that's cool. But guess what? No one's going to give you 25 grand after watching a 60 second video. So we use long form content to weed out the people that we don't want in our world. If someone won't take the time to watch a three to five minute video on the front end and a 60 minute video on the back end, I don't want them as a client because I'm going to help them to create a course. They're going to come in and we got to shoot four hours worth of video. They got to edit that four hours of video. They got to watch it. They got to go through probably a 50 to 100 page workbook that we're going to create for them. And if they won't comply in the beginning, they're not going to comply when the rubber meets the road. Same thing when we do the TV shows for folks. We shoot 13 episodes in one day, 13, you know, three to six minute episodes. That's A, that's a long day. B, they have to listen to me, to respect me, to know that I've got their best interests at heart. Then I got to send them all the episodes. They got to edit them. Then I got to make sure that they post them online. Like if they don't comply in the beginning, they're not going to comply later. I have this belief that clients don't get better, right? So for anyone that's ever been in client services, if a client sucks day one, they are not going to get better day two. Now, you know, they might've had like a bad day. I'm not taking that for granted. Son got sick. And so they were in a bad mood. That's not what I'm talking about. But if they were a dickhead or if they were mean, or if their expectations weren't met on day one, boy, is it going to be a bad relationship. So I do all of this pre-selling so that I only work with amazing people who saw myself and they're like, Greg, I need to work with you. So I do all of my selling through media. And for me, that's been the game changer because I hate selling on the phone. I don't enjoy doing it. I am not a good closer. I don't like 
using, I don't even know any like NLP ninja stuff. I've never gone through a course where it's like 87 closing techniques. If you've agreed three times, you must agree to like, I hate doing that stuff. Like it's just super uncomfortable. So I am very matter of fact. I'm just like, so you saw some of my videos, you got to watch the training. You saw it like two, three days ago. Like what piqued your interest about it? What you got going on? And so I just, I'm very me. And to me, that's been the difference maker because I work with amazing people who want to work with me. Now do I lose out some business where I could maybe pressure them a little bit more and, and not in a bad way, but just using some more leading questions, things like that. I'm sure that I do, but the people that I get are so bought into what I do that it's amazing. Cause by the end of the call, they're just like, so how do I sign up? Oh, I'll just shoot you the link, sign up and we'll get started tomorrow. Have our first call. I'm just very under the radar, nonchalant, non-pressure. I do a lot of what I call like demonstration. So I believe demonstration is one of the best ways to sell. If you remember back in school, it was like show and tell and you show off your baseball card collection or whatever, you know, comic book collection, whatever you had. That's how I do in marketing. And I'm just like, all right, awesome. So uh, here's what we did for, for Joe Gleason. Here's what we did for Rodney. Here's how it works. Here's how I could see it working for you. Here's like three videos I think we could shoot that would be super easy and here's how we can market them. And I just demonstrate to them that I'm awesome. There's no theory. I'm just like, here's what we can do. And again, at the end of the call, they're kind of just like, dude, how do I sign up? I wish I had better sales strategies, tactics for you, but I think it's using media to pre-position you, pre-frame you to really sell the services. And then B is just be yourself, especially if you're in the service-based business, because I got to hang out with these people. Like they're coming into my studio. They're going to hang out with me for a few days. You know, there's a lot of handholding. And so if they suck, like it's going to be a bad relationship. How many people work with you today or not necessarily clients, but your team in general and how you're able to run it the way you do? And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are trying to run their own company? Yeah, this is an area that it's not necessarily sure that I struggle in, but it's not a strong suit. So collectively, our family of companies, we kind of share employees and things like that. So I'm not going to get into a huge sort. I have about 35 in-house right now who work directly with me, like on the product side, there's three. And then on the video side, there's also three. And then we have folks who do everything from PR to publishing and just a whole whole different world, which we're, we're not, I don't, I don't feel like delving into in this call. I'm a big believer when hiring that you hire the persona and the personality and for fit and for culture. And you can always train skills. So my number one videographer right now, when I hired him, had never picked up a video camera in his entire life. I actually hired him to edit audio for some of the info products and stuff like that. And then one day I just needed him to fill in and he loved the camera. And guess what? There's this amazing thing called YouTube and you can like go and do YouTube. Watch videos of you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or he can watch videos of me, but he can also watch tutorials on like how to edit on Final Cut. I'm a big believer in fit and culture and personality. And I'm, am I going to like working with this person? I'm going to spend 40 to 60 hours a week with this person. For many people, that's more than you're going to spend with your kids, your spouse, or however you want to break it up, at least in a very present way. So I want to like these people. I can always mold their skills. I can teach you how to hit buttons. I could teach you how to respond to a client. I could teach you how to upload crap to Kajabi. That's all teachable, but I really want them to be a fit for me, for my personality and for the culture of the company. I think to me, that's been the most important thing when hiring folks. I was joking around obviously about just looking at you, but no, on YouTube, <laughs> college and graduate school, and I've learned way more on via YouTube than anything else. That's the easiest way to learn anything really. Yeah, there's no excuse. And so there's YouTube, but obviously there's information products. You know, you can go to like lynda.com and you can learn pretty much any skill. 
If you want to learn about Facebook ads, go find somebody who teaches Facebook ads and buy their course. There's no excuse for lack of the skills and the information. If you're not a motivated, driven, fun-loving person, you can have all the skills in the world, but that's just not the right fit for me. As we're closing up the interview here, what's the most important words of wisdom or advice that you have for anyone who's listening and what's the best way for them to reach you and say thank you for doing the interview? Don't wait for permission. No one is going to give you permission. Austin, for you, like no one came, knighted you like, sir, Austin, you have run a successful business. Now you should start a podcast. Like no one did that. You were just like, dude, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do this podcast because I think I have some cool stuff to share. If you want to write a book, you know, the only way to write a book is to write the damn book. If you want to start a business, the only way to start a business is to actually start the business. People ask me all the time, like, Greg, how'd you get so good at video? And I say, I did a lot of video when I was doing the music stuff. I did a video every single week. You know, now thousands of videos later, I'm decent on camera. Do I still have a lot of work to do? If you want to be a good podcaster or interviewer, guess what? You got to go out and interview. You got to do the thing, but don't wait for permission because no one's coming to knight you and say, you know what? You've been in business for 20 years. You are now certified to write a book, whatever it is that you want to do. No one's going to do that. No one gave me a reality show. No one wanted to give me a record deal. No one wanted me to start this business. No one told me I produce major documentaries and films and TV shows. I went out and I took it. So stop waiting for whatever permission you think that it is. You don't need another degree. You don't need another credential. You don't need to go to another certification weekend. Now for some things, like if you're like a dentist, like I want you to have gone and through like the dental board or, you know, if you're a brain surgeon, but for most of us, for like a real estate agent, you got to go get your real estate license. You can do that in a freaking week. Go out and do it. If that's what you want to do. I didn't graduate from college. I dropped out. I have no degrees. I have no certifications. I have no qualifications to do what I do, but I became really good at what I do. And then I became sought out. Don't wait for permission is probably the biggest thing that I could leave people with today. I appreciate it. And if someone wanted to reach out and say, thanks, or I guess jump on a call or what's the best way for them to reach? Totally. The easy thing is I'm just Greg Roulette everywhere. So Greg Roulette on Facebook and Instagram is usually where I hang out the most. Twitter is more I kind of just retweet stuff that I think is cool. But Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, just at Greg Roulette. And then they can definitely just check out ambitious.com. They can uh, sign up for some cool training, see some of the products we have, some of the gear we have. I'd appreciate anybody that says hello. One last question. Is there one thing that's holding you back from like growing your company and what do you see for your future? And I, I asked that last question because maybe someone in the audience could actually help you or whether it's a tech play or, or something personal like that's holding you back from growing. That's a great question. And the answer is, yeah, I'll get vulnerable for a minute. The answer is 100% yes. And for me, so I have two incredible business partners. I have a great team here, as we talked about. But sometimes I have a tendency to be, let's call it a lone wolf, where I think that the world's on my shoulders and it's up to me and only I can solve the problem. Only I can stay up till three in the morning to do it. It's just not true. Sometimes I don't know what question to ask, so I don't ask any questions. And again, I just try to, to plow through it, I, you know, lone wolf it. And that always comes to bite me on the backside. And I think it's stunted some of our growth because I get so narrow headed and focused and I'm just going to do it my way or the highway. I think a big thing for me is more being able to ask for help when you need help, having people around you that you can trust. And it, it sounds weird, right? Because I, I have a great team, we have a great business, but I think something that has stunted my own growth is my own self-sabotage, if you will. And I think that's a lot of entrepreneurs because when we first get started, like my first five or six years, like I was on my own. I was the only guy. Like I had to do it all myself. And then when I got business partners, you know, I leveraged a lot of the great things that they offered me, but I still like sheltered myself from them. And maybe it was something like I had to prove to them that I was worthy or I had to whatever it was. So don't be afraid. And this is advice to myself is don't be afraid to ask for help. You don't have to know every answer. I think it's okay to not. But I do this in sales calls. Like people are like, well, how come you don't distribute the videos on LinkedIn? I'm like, I have no freaking clue how to even log into LinkedIn. And I'm cool with that because I know that my strategies work. You don't have to be a master of all. But I think in, you have to be able to ask the questions. You have to be able to ask for 
help. And sometimes you just don't know what to ask. So sometimes it's just, dude, let me just word vomit some stuff to you. They're almost like a psychiatrist or whatever, a therapist. But I think that's been one of the things that has been hardest for me, especially as we scale is sometimes I don't know. You don't know. I've never run a hundred million dollar a year business before. I don't know what challenges come with that. I don't know what opportunities come with that. I've never had a hundred employees. There's all these milestones that like, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I have a client right now who runs a multi-billion dollar empire. I have no idea how to do what he does, but he hired me to be his media coach. I'm really good at that. And he takes my advice and he uses it and he grows it and he crushes it. But if he asked me an HR question with his 10,000 employees, like I don't have no freaking clue, right? So I think it's finding those people that you can trust in the areas that you need improvement and help. Well, thank you, Greg, for sharing your story. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. We appreciate you tuning in to another episode of Millionaire Interviews. If you're looking for other service-based interviews, then consider episode 36 with Dan Fantasia or episode 26 with Tarang Gosalia or try out episode 25 with Zach Smith of Funded Today. This awesome podcast is now approved by Spotify. So if you'd rather tune into our episodes via the Spotify app, then just go ahead and search for Millionaire Interviews.